thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Jennifer Hawkins, SVP of Marketing and Innovation at Centric Brands, owner of Joe's, Hudson, and Hervé Leger. The brand recently launched collaborations with major influencers, including Danielle Bernstein and Aaron and Sarah Foster. I wanted to ask Jennifer about the current power of Instagram influencers and the state of denim sales at a time when sweatpants provide new competition. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. Hi. Thanks for being here. So tell me about this new collab with the Foster Girls. I love them. Yes. So um, at Joe's, we've done several collaborations over the last, I would say, two and a half years. Um, The first was Daniel Bernstein, who we did two collaborations with. Um, And then we also did a men's collaboration with Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman. And also um, Stephanie Gottlieb, an interesting one with the jeweler Stephanie Gottlieb. And our latest is with Aaron and Sarah Foster under, they have always had a business in their family called Favorite Daughter. And so um, the collaboration isn't Aaron and Sarah Foster for Joe's, it's Favorite Daughter for Joe's, of which they, um, you know, implemented the brand name as part of it and really worked closely with us to to design a group of product that, you know, they would be wearing day in and day out. And all of it really is product that, you know, kind of can be worn in our current COVID state as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Nice. So you mentioned favorite daughter uh, that collab can be worn now during COVID when we're all maybe home, maybe more cozy. Um, Is that typical of um, what drives a collaboration? Um, The timeliness of the, the vibe? Is it also number of followers? What all goes into choosing that collaborator? It really varies. Uh, you know, there are companies like DBA who will come to a brand and give you 10 people to choose from to collaborate with. From our standpoint, we really tried to go at it from a very organic point of view. So with Danielle, she came to one of our launch events for our jean called the High Honey. And, you know, she said to us at this lunch, like, I want a jean. I want to create the perfect jean. And, Our CEO, Susie Bizance, and I followed up with her at a lunch and we met with her and talked to her and she really was laser focused and knew exactly what she felt like was missing in the market and the perfect gene that she wanted to create. And we partnered with her to do it. Um, For Julian Edelman, we really were just looking for the face of of the brand and feel like Joe's really resonates with athletes. And so he was the face. And luckily, he's an athlete that photographs like a model. He really has strong features and and the photography was amazing. But what we didn't know is that he would be so interested in fashion. And, you know, we talked to him about doing a collaboration. And the first time around, we just did a couple jeans. The second time around was, you know, after he had won the MVP and he came to our office and he had shopped the market. He had, he knew exactly what he wanted and he was specific down to like the lining he wanted in the jacket. And, you know, the more organic they are, the more they really get behind it. And then it, it's not about like how many posts are in your contract. It's about them really feeling like they've created something that they're proud of, that they want to send to their friends and that they want to talk about on their social channels because they were so intimately involved in creating it. And I felt like that's really the magic in it. It's not just plucking someone off a list and saying like, let's do a collaboration. It's finding people that you organically fit with from a product standpoint and working with them to create either a void they see in the market or something that they're really passionate about and tailoring it really specific to their needs. 
And by the way, it's not always what our sales team thinks will sell the most or, um, you know, what might be the most commercially viable, but it really does become a much better partnership if they really have the say and we follow their lead versus us just trying to show them things that we think they might like. Definitely. You mentioned you've done those several over the course of two and a half years. Mm -hmm. How often do you plan to do them moving forward? Just as much? You know, I don't think there's any set schedule, which makes it really hard for our design team because um, you're usually working on a faster schedule than is typical in a design calendar. And there's a lot of elements that go into it. It's not just the items. It's also what does the packaging look like? Are we creating a new button? What does the hang tag look like? How are we going to shoot these? What is the go to market plan? Is it going to be direct to consumer only? Is wholesale going to be involved? All that has to work on a much quicker timeline just because that's how that business works. So, um, you know, I think it just really depends. Like we did a collaboration with Stephanie Gottlieb last year around, um, around Valentine's day. And if you don't know Stephanie, she is a jeweler that is also really savvy on social media. And this like kind of denims and denim and diamond pairings was just a home run for us. And she did an event at Saks and her followers really, bought it very quickly and very passionately. And, you know, we're working on replicating that with her again, because it made sense for the time frame. You know, we had hearts that were bedazzled and, <laughs> um, and there's still demand for it. Um, you know, in the case of nice. Daniel Bernstein, she really used it as a springboard to launch her own denim business, which, you know, we're proud to have had a, a hand in, you know, helping her find a passion and, and launch a brand as like a young, powerful woman. So it really just depends. Yeah. And with Erin and Sarah Foster, You know, I've been a big fan of theirs. I think that, um, you know, not only do they have their social presence, but they're super savvy. They have really sound business investments. They're funny. They have their creative side. And the other thing I love is that they're part of a group of women who like really are always supporting each other and propping each other up. And I just thought that they were like the ultimate like kind of power chicks. And, you know, I'm jealous at my age. I just turned 50 and I feel like these women in their 30s have such a different opportunity and they live in different spaces where they're like, they don't just have a job. They're investing, they're supporting their friends, they're creating their own content. And it's really exciting to see. So anyway, I I just admired them. And I actually slid into their DMs to see (laughs) if, um, if they wanted to partner with us and then, you know, worked with their manager, Jean, to make it happen. And, And it's been, again, like a very organic, really nice partnership and they are just so fully invested in it down to, you know, the color of the embroidery on the cashmere sweaters. I mean, they just really wanted every detail to be right and create something that they can really be proud of. So they've all been very different and have come about differently, but I really feel like we're going about it the right way and not just looking at a list and trying to match who could fit with us, but really trying to create relationships and then seeing like what makes sense. Yes. What makes a collaboration successful? For instance, with Danielle, why did you opt to do the second collaboration? Because we could tell the demand after the first. Um, You know, Danielle has the unique power that when she posts something, her followers come in the thousands and they buy instantly. Um, So, you know, there's the clamor for the product. And the first time around, we only did one jean and three washes. 
And so, you know, the second time around, we added another gene um, and added more washes to the first. And it just the demand was still there. Nice. Do you typically maybe test um, a more traditional uh, influencer partnership before you go all in with the collaboration? Did you work with Danielle before? Wait, she did some posts for us and she came to an event for us. Okay. Um, but, you know, we have a director of social media and uh, her name is Lauren Cull. And, you know, it's what she does full time. And she really is dialed into who, you know, is kind of relevant right now and who would be a good fit for our brand. And she's really able to pick out who, you know, we feel like really organically works for us. And that is across posting or just organically gifting or um, then trying to decide who makes sense for us to do an actual partnership with. Yes, it seems like I actually don't know the age of these ladies, but um, is it kind of a millennial um, female customer is is a, a target or and is that customer on Instagram? I mean, you'd be a little surprised like the customer for Danielle was really from like 18 to 45. So okay. I wouldn't say that she only has a younger following. I would say, you know, towards to our traditional Joe's customer, probably, you know, 75% of that business was probably 10 years younger than our average range. But yeah. we still had that 25% that was in more of our traditional range. So she really has a wide range of age followers, which is yep. interesting. I mean, she she has a lot of power in, in what, you know, she sells product. Um, and she's also very passionate about it. The other thing that I think is amazing with this group is the way that they can create content. You know, for a traditional brand to create content, you know, you're working on a shoot, you have a call sheet of 25 people, you have a location fee, you have hair, you have makeup, you have craft services, you have this whole big production. And, you know, Aaron and Sarah and a photographer just did a shoot in Aaron's backyard and the result is beautiful. And nice. they, you know, imagined it themselves and Aaron is steaming clothes and you know, it's just a whole different skill set. And I think it's really shifted the business a lot. I mean, the kind of content that Danielle can create is amazing. And, you know, she actually came to our wash house and went through the whole process of like creating a wash and just watching her create a video while she's learning this wash process. It's just a skill that is like kind of amazing how they can just create content on a dime. Whereas like, you know, head of marketing, if I'm trying to make a video for the wash house, it's quite a production. You know what I mean? I'm right. like creating a script and talking to the design team through speaking and editing. And I mean, Danielle's like doing it all on her iPhone in like a half hour. <laughs> nice. And, you know, 40,000 people are watching it in 10 minutes. So it is, yeah. it's just a whole different, you know, and, and it's shifted so quickly. But for us, it's been something that's been really positive. You know, I mean, it's been great for our DTC channels, but it's also been great for our wholesale partners. Yes. Well, we did a story back in the day um, when you first, maybe your second partnership with with Danielle about how you were integrating uh, Instagram checkout. She was able mm -hmm. to uh, offer checkout through her own stories. Uh, can you tell me about that? I feel like that was like you were one of the early for, right. players doing we were that. An, we were an early adopter of it. And it not only is the checkout, but it also allows them to have like kind of a countdown on Instagram. So their followers would get an alert like it's launching in 30 minutes. It's launching in 10 seconds. And 
And same, Aaron and Sarah actually used it last week too. So if they tag you, you make them a creator on your Instagram account. And then when they tag the product, their followers don't even have to come to our website. They can just check out on Instagram. Amazing. Well, can you tell me about the amount, the sales that that drives? You know, it's not, um, I would say that the traffic to the site is bigger than the amount of people actually checking out through Instagram. I think that that'll grow over time just as Apple Pay has. But if you're doing it for the first time and for like a Daniel Bernstein, when the speed to buy is so fast because you're worried about it selling out, unless you've already shopped on Instagram, you're not one click yet because you're having to put in all of your information So I think once that grows and once more people use it, like they use Apple Pay, it'll drive more sales. For now, I wouldn't say it's a huge percentage, but I want to offer the checkout options where our customers like to shop. So if it's Apple Pay, I want it. If it's Amazon Pay, I want it. If it's a pay over time, like an Affirm or a Klarna, I want it. Um, And I felt like it was important for Instagram also. Yeah, I think the notifications piece is great. You know, I think it's great to give them that extra push when it goes live and um, just tag them so they can just click right to buy. Yes, I saw a big shout out to Affirm on your on your e-commerce site. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that newer for you guys? And has that been a difference maker? We've been on Affirm for about a year. Um, and I've seen, you know, we have different payover times across our different platforms. And, you know, they all drive different amount of revenue, but I think it's super important. Um, you know, I think eventually it can be probably 20% of your revenue coming in from these pay over time channels. I mean, awesome. I worry about it for people like my teenage daughters who shouldn't be buying a $200 pair of jeans, but can on, right. you know, revolve if they want. Um, but I think it's a great service. I find myself using it often um, when I come across it. And I think that they're great partners to the brands. You know, they do great marketing. I saw Afterpay just had an Afterpay day similar to Prime Day. Um, A firm is working on some great things for holidays. So I think that they're great partners to the brands. And I think it's like a really innovative thing. I just worry about, you know, teenagers and people, you know, getting into a little bit of trouble with it. But you can't get too far over your skis because they'll shut you down if you miss payments pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about uh, your influencer strategy outside of collaborations. Are you uh, working with eyeing uh, the mega influencers? Have you kind of, I don't know, those local guys that I'm, we're hearing more so, uh, fewer followers, the micro. more engagement? What, yeah. what are you looking at? I mean, we really try to do a mix. Um, you know, we try to regularly gift kind of, you know, the top influencers who have always been friends of our brands, while at the same time looking for new up and coming, you know, some of the micro influencers in, you know, more of the middle of the country, not just so East Coast and West Coast based. And also the thing that we, I feel like I keep pushing our team to look at and, you know, just haven't had the time is we really need to figure out what our TikTok strategy is. And, you know, will this move dollars in our space? Is it a lower AOV product that is really killing it on on TikTok? I just don't know yet. And that's something that we need to make a priority to look into. Yep. Do you have an account? Have you tested the waters yet? I have an account and I go down the TikTok rabbit hole often, um, <laughs> but we haven't really launched a brand strategy on it yet. You know, I feel yeah. like, you know, we're not working out of an office. Samples are all over the place and just... Um, this whole shift to our digital and virtual markets 
has really taken up a lot of like marketing time and effort, you know, shooting more product earlier in more different ways to try to give the buyers that brand experience so that we can get the, you know, the orders placed and have continual flow of goods has really taken a lot of mind share that has maybe taken away from being able to really dig into something like TikTok. It's all important. Yes. Are you paying influencers now or is it more so gifting? I think it's a mix and it depends on on what it is. Um, Obviously, collaborations, there's a paid partnership and we do a lot of organic gifting. And then, you know, I think for if we're launching a new fit or have a certain strategy, it'll be a multi-pronged event. Like we'll have a, a list of people that were paying potentially and then have a whole organic gifting also. It just really depends on what it is. Um, and try to work on it in like a project by project basis. Yeah. On the Hudson side, we work with a dedicated social agency and show and co and they, um, you know, put together really great organic gifting programs for us and are always bringing us up and coming and, and people they feel like that are going to be great for the brand. So, you know, we manage things very, you know, differently by brand to see what works for the brand. Like on the Joe side, we have, you know, Lauren, who is like really, invested and and day-to-day is bringing you know the brand the best social that fits and then on the joe on the hudson side you know that business has been using an agency and we're continuing to do so yes tell me about the importance of this wholesale partner you mentioned uh the the virtual i don't know if it's a showroom but the virtual Mm -hmm. representation for the season um it's interesting i've been hearing that a lot that it is a lot of time and it is a big investment i've also heard that some brands are offering you know their wholesale partners discounts right now just understanding the i guess the the landscape that we're in it's still important it seems would you agree or how to what extent it was interesting because we had been on new order um you know, for years, but I wouldn't say we really were maximizing the capabilities. And in um, March, we instantly didn't have a choice because we had market coming up. And it's one of the things I feel like we're most proud of is how quickly we were able to really populate and create a virtual market that really the buyers have been really happy with. Um, And the challenge is, is the time between when the samples come in and market starts is exceptionally short. So before the sample just needed to be overnighted to the showroom if it was running late and you would be ready for market. Yeah. Now it has to be shot, retouched and loaded into new order with all the right copy and all the right information before market can start. So it's really a group effort and you know the designers are running samples across town to get to the photo studio and then the retouchers picking it up from the photo studio and being able to make sure the colors are right. And I mean, it, it has been a real whirlwind, but I do think um, the team is really proud of how we've come together and how seamlessly it's been able to work. And I, and I think that our wholesale team and our buyers are really happy with it. Yeah. Are you going to go back to a traditional market? I mean, there's nothing quite like touching and feeling the product yeah. and seeing our customers. We think that's really important. But the assets that we've created to supplement that, I think, is now going to be a standard go forward. And we have new order, but we're also going to azure because we feel like it's kind of like Coke and Pepsi. You know, while Nordstrom might use new order, Neiman Marcus uses azure. So um, there's that. And then we'll also be powering our Shopify to turn on the wholesale component of Shopify Because that's really the number three B2B portal right now. So to me, I don't think that there's any reason to just have one. In this market, we need to be able to find buyers where they're shopping for their goods. And I think it's across all three platforms. 
Yes. What does that mean for you? It's just the it just means loading it to different to different platforms. Is it is there more work than that? I mean, that's really the bulk of it. And I feel like we're creating the assets already. We should really be maximizing how they're how many people can be seen and using them. Yep. So, you know, while it's not easy to load everything and hot sync it, um, you know, our team has gotten pretty savvy at it. Yep. And I just don't think we have a choice. Let's take a quick break. So what's the goal for uh, or what's the breakdown of wholesale versus DTC? You know, as, as a rule, like Joe's has been a primarily wholesale business, but we're really ticking away at that um, every year. And the focus is really to grow our e-commerce every year by, you know, significant double digits until, you know, we tip that balance a little bit. Yes, got it. But we've really also partnered with our wholesale partners to make sure that they're really maximizing their e-commerce businesses too. Um, You know, we have our partners on Dropship. We're, um, you know, sending traffic to them from social. And, you know, we want their e-commerce to be successful as well. So it's not just our own um, D2C, but it's really e-commerce overall. And how do we, you know, make sure that we're getting a fair share of that business? Yes. What are you doing to, are, is it about meeting the customer wherever they're shopping? Do you have a presence on Amazon? Uh, is it kind of casting a wide net? Yeah, it's definitely meeting them where they are um, and also how they like to shop. Like I said, so it's the payment methods. It's do they want to hear from us via email or via SMS? It's, um, you know, helping our wholesale customers, making sure they have the right assets. We just are extending, you know, the sizes and what we shoot our models in because we shouldn't just be showing one size of models, you know, not only for our own site, but our wholesale partners want to see model shots in multiple sizes. So, um, you know, it's really all facets of what we're doing, trying to get better for that digital customer. Yes. Is the differentiator, are there exclusives that some of these, are they demanding exclusives? Some of the partners, is that what's clinching the sale? I mean, I think that exclusives have always been part of the wholesale um, manufacturer relationship. So we're continuing that for sure. Um, I would say things also like sizing is making a difference. So, you know, making sure that we're stocked all the way up to a size 34, offering different inseams. So, you know, Joe's had a legacy fit called the Twiggy that was really popular. That was a longer length jean. You know, while that's not an in-store play, like the stores don't have the bandwidth to, to show all of this, like online, you know, once we added it, it's been doing really well. On the men's side, we're trying to add more 32-inch and 36-inch inseams. So it's really trying to um, make things easier for the customer to find their specific need um, and then cascading that across all of our channels, Amazon included. Nice. What's your been your experience with Amazon? So we're on Amazon with our brands. Um, and, you know, what we find on Amazon is, you know, reviews and kind of history is what powers sales at Amazon. So it's not like the latest new fit or trend. It's really those day in and day out fits that, you know, the customer knows. So if they're a male, they know that they love the Brixton and they can go on Amazon and just search Joe's Brixton and, you know, find the wash that they want and same on the women's side. So it's really more of a legacy play. So it's how are we staying in business on those washes that, you know, the Saks buyer may have been tired of, but on Amazon, it's still ringing the register. So, you know, it's really filling the need that they have too. So every channel really has a different product need. And, you know, it's our planners and merchants who have to try to, you know, create a SKU plan 
that fits all of our needs. You know, I mean, we're yeah. 90% denim brand. So that's the other thing is like, how are we going to expand our categories beyond just denim and, you know, having lounge and having other things that are existing customers looking for. And now Amazon won't ever probably need that from us, but right. we need it from our own, for our own websites. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, some of our Halo brands like a Saks and a Nordstrom are interested in. Nice. For shopping on your own site, are you offering a loyalty program or anything to kind of uh, icing on the cake when they do buy from you? Yeah, we don't have loyalty. That's something that's on my roadmap. Um, but we did just implement SMS and are seeing okay. really good results from that. Um, but but we do know that loyalty and just more of like really understanding the customer journey is something that we really could benefit from. And we've recently added someone to our team that can help with those things. Nice. What percentage of the business is men's? You know, it's interesting. Online, it is it men's and women's kind of fight for 50 50 sometimes oh wow women's is like 48 and men's is 52 and sometimes men, you know i mean but it is really interesting whereas i would say our overall business is more like 65 35 okay. online it really is closer to 50 50 i think you know the effort we did with julian julian edelman i think really helped that some i mean we saw our men's business do better um when we launched with him not only just in his collaboration but overall but I also find our men's shopper is really strategic. So they know the fit that they want and they buy it in multiple washes a couple yep. times a year. Their returns are lower and they don't really step out, but they don't, they rarely are buying one jean at a time. They're buying like multiple jeans. And then they're also, if they see a Henley or a t-shirt or a hoodie or a sweater, they do add on. So I would say our men's AOV is a little higher nice. um, and they know what they're shopping for. Yes. You mentioned that uh, denim was 90% of your business. Has that uh, held true since March? You know, that's a good question. I actually should dig in and look at it a little closer. But I would say generally, yes, just because we don't have. And I, I guess I should rephrase that. I should really say bottoms. I mean, yeah. we have had some on the men's side, we have had good success. And, and non-denim was really trending in men's prior. But we certainly are really selling a jogger. We're selling um, a tech trouser that we have that is a really a comfort pant. Um, and, and we're selling twills. So, you know, it is really more 90% bottoms than just denim. And that business is growing. And what we're adding in the space is growing. So, you know, you'll see more joggers from us. You'll see more non-denim bottoms on the men's side because they are really, they're performing really well for us. Yes. I, I also noticed masks you're selling on the site. We right are now. <laughs> selling masks. We are selling masks. And, you know, it's interesting, the denim, you know, we have four on the site and the denim one is outperforming like 10 to one, the other one. So oh my it's, gosh. it's clear to me that people want to see that from us and they want it. They want it for what we're known for. They don't yep. want, you know, like a red mask from us. They really want denim masks. So I'm excited to keep offering them and, and really expand into kind of the different washes that we offer. But nice. they've only been live for about 10 days and they're really doing well. It's nice. And Hudson awesome. had a whole mask initiative um, that launched, I think, in April. Um, and so they on the Hudson side, we were really early in on the mask business. Yeah, I was wondering, like, where are all the masks? How how <laughs> how fast were you able to turn around that style? Because I know like a lot of brands were very slow to that category. Yeah. And I would say, admittedly, we were pretty slow on the Joe's side, too. But um, we actually sewed them in L.A. in our in our own sewing facility. Um, 
And, you know, I've reached out to our planning and our, our production teams just saying, like, I think this needs to be a go forward. I mean, I think I've read that, you know, they're really going to be standard through 2021. So um, and we have some more innovative products coming out for one of our brands in November that kind of relates to mask as well. So I just nice. think it's something we need to incorporate these things into our into our businesses. Nice. Are you guys also messaging uh, your approach to sustainability? I just know that in terms of denim, uh, we hear time and time again, it's the most polluting, I guess, right. fashion style. Uh, are you guys making uh, progress in that area? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, eco-conscious is definitely a priority for us. I think right now there's three women's styles on the sites that fall under our eco-conscious. You know, it's interesting because Joe's was really had eco-friendly styles five years ago and nobody cared and nobody they didn't get adopted at market really um so unfortunately you know we probably should have stayed the course because we were on the right path um but we'll keep adding more every season um because it is certainly a focus and it's not just in denim we're doing it on the collection side also you know with some recycled cashmere and um some cotton products and but i think you'll start seeing denim become a bigger and bigger part of our percentage to total um nice as time goes on, we know it's a priority for sure. Yeah. You're, are you seeing more demand as the c- consumer becomes, becomes more conscious is the word on the street? For sure. And I mean, you know, part of me thinks that yes. And, you know, part of me thinks, no, they don't, nobody seems to care that Amazon's overnighting all of their packages every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is probably worse for the environment than <laughs> right. pair of jeans. But, um, but for us as a company, we know it's important and, you know, we started with trims actually, and, you know, rivets on jeans make them very hard to recycle the denim. So we've taken the rivets off of our jeans and have gone to all, you know, recycled packaging. So it's not just in the make of the jeans, we're doing it with the trims as well and trying to really approach it holistically. Got it. Are you guys still in a seasonal calendar? Has that changed for you? You know, what? we we really still are primarily. I mean, I think you're, we're seeing some shifts in the calendar in terms of how early to bring in shorts and how late to keep them at full price. And, you know, there are some of those shifts, but, you know, we haven't shifted into like a real buy now, where now kind of a calendar. Yeah. Um, and I think as much as everyone kind of wants to, there just isn't a movement towards that happening. Yes. Tell me about what ha- what's been going on since March. Is it um, against projections or against last year, a 30, 40 percent drop somewhere around there? You know, I think we don't I don't speak to numbers specifically, but I think for us, we addressed all of it very early on, like almost immediately in March, you know, right when, you know, I think March 14th, we started staying home and, you know, we were shifting production and reflowing goods immediately Um, And I think it really put us in a a really good position now. So, um, and, you know, and there was a time, you know, in the beginning when, you know, Amazon wasn't taking orders and, you know, dropship was turned off and some of those things might have happened. But I feel like since, you know, really May, we've been really, I feel like back on track. I mean, my e-commerce business actually in every month other than March has been really solid double digit increases over LY and um, has been doing really well, you know, closing stores sucks. And that, that was, you know, unfortunate, Um, but, you know, we're getting them back open and we're starting to see traffic come back. And, um, but outside of that, um, you know, for like a Nordstrom and a Saks, their online business is their number one door. And I think that the online businesses have been good. The Nordstrom anniversary sale was really strong. Oh, great. 
So, um, you know, we're bullish on that people are wearing their jeans. Yeah. <laughs> How many stores do you guys have of your own? We have about 10. Okay, great. Are you guys – any change there in terms of your approach? Are events in-store a big part of the, the marketing business? Um, you know, there's certainly no events happening in-store. And, um, you know, we're, we're working quickly to implement a solution called Teamwork so that we can offer more of that full Omni um, solution, which we didn't have in place. The buy online, pick up in-store and um, – buy online, return in store, like all of those things. We're kind of late to the party and we're working really fast to get those implemented. Yep. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's more about what is the protocol? Um, are we offering masks in store? Is, you know, all the um, kind of shop with confidence is what we're calling it. All of that protocol put in place so that the customer is comfortable. And, and I think we're doing well in that space. Yeah. Any plans to open more more stores? You know, we have been looking, you know, I would say for the last year into like, you know, what should be our L.A. flagship? You yeah. know, we don't have a location and what, what I would consider, you know, a real flagship location in L.A. And as an L.A. denim brand, we know that that's important. So we're always on the lookout for that. And then also we're open to pop-up opportunities. And I mean, we really still feel like retail is important and it's part of the marketing of the brand and it's where customers can see our, our brand in the best environment. So we think it's important. And we also have always been really interested in supporting our wholesale partners in their um, in-store efforts. You know, we've done great influencer events with our partners. In Boston, we did an event with Julian Edelman at Saks where not only the denim customer was there, they had the top customers in all of Saks come to be able to meet Julian just after he was the Super Bowl MVP. And that added real value for Saks. I mean, it was like a great partnership. And, you know, we always want to try to be supportive in store and and see how we can partner with our, part, our wholesale brands to like, how do we do that? Because it's so important, you know, it yeah. was just like killer to me to, to know all those months that like a Saks and a Bloomingdale's 59th Street and Neiman Marcus's new store in New York were shut down. I mean, uh, you know, it was just something we never could have thought would happen. Totally. You want to go back to all those stores. No, no, I guess, broken, broken ties, broken relationships. Yeah, no. And we really want to go back to, um, I mean, I can't wait for the day when we see like, you know, tourists being so excited to walk in those stores. They're so iconic. And I just still think, is this really reality? What's happening right now? Right. Right. Talk to me because uh, last question, I feel like uh, coming out of this, I'm hearing a lot of hitting reset and what our new normal looks like. Uh, what's been, I guess, what have been some big transitions, the biggest changes that you see kind of to your job, to marketing for the brand? Sure. I mean, part of it, I hope, goes back to normal um, because, like I said, like creating all of these assets and things without being in offices and tracking down samples and, you know, even just fitting samples on a fit model is hard. You know what I mean? You're dropping off the sample. You're zooming with them. I mean, a lot of those things, you know, we really want to go back to normal. And then I think, you know, some things are changed forever. Like we will have parts of our business that aren't so denim intensive. You know, we need to figure out like, how, you know, how, how big can the French Terry jogger be to our bottoms business? And, you know, what are other categories that will our brands sit nicely on outside of denim? And how do we work smarter? You know, will my team ever be in the office together five days a week again? Probably not, because I think it just, you know, we've shown that we don't really need to be. 
um, yes. and are, you know, working more efficiently. I mean, I think everyone's working more hours than ever. You know, it's really been taxing. Um, but I also think it's been really rewarding. You know, things like pulling together a virtual market like that has really been rewarding. And I do think people will come back to our showrooms and it'll be great to see them in person. But I think it's really elevated the game of what we need to go to market with and also the kind of assets we need to speak to the end consumer also. Yes. As Instagram ramps up its uh, shopping features, shopping capabilities, is that going to be like more of your time, a majority of your time? Like how would you describe the impact uh, that it's going to make on your brand? Well, I don't think it's just going to be Instagram. I think that you know, I think it's going to be TikTok also um, and whatever comes next. And these pay over time, you know, uh, apps have been disruptive as well. So I think it's really going to be how do you plan your business in different chunks, uh, different tranches of how quickly the market's been shifting. Because I think it's also different consumers, right? Like the TikTok consumer is going to be really different than our Facebook consumer and is also different than someone who's doing pay over time. So it's really interesting. And, um, you know, we do have to address it on a kind of channel by channel basis quickly. And, you know, like I said, Amazon has different needs than Saks has. So um, and it's important to power them all. You know, we want to raise them all at the same time versus have one take from the other. So like you said, things like exclusives, the collaborations, all of those things are going to continue to be really important. And I don't think it's just collaborations with people. I think we have an opportunity to collaborate with different brands also, which could be really interesting. I mean, you saw North Face and Gucci just announced a collaboration. That's not one I would have thought would happen. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how it turns out. And we have to be thinking in that way, too, of like, who are the brands we should be collaborating with also? Ooh, if you're if it's a high, high fashion brand, we want to be the first to know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know. Share with the class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. Awesome. There's a lot of brands we would love to collaborate with. So it's kind of, you know, while it's been really challenging, I also think that the disruption that happened was kind of a long time coming. And it's now I don't want to look at it as like a reset. I kind of want to look at it as like, it's so exciting to see what's coming next and which brands can get there the fastest. Yes. Oh my gosh. Essence of time. Go baby. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Jennifer, this was so fun. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Joe. It was great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.